Welcome back to another episode of the Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Rowe. Today, I had a virtual guest with me. His name is Josh Wagner, and he's an enterprise account executive at a company called LeadMD. And he has a, a pretty extensive background when it comes to growth and entrepreneurship, both marketing and sales. So we had some good discussions around trends in marketing, B2B marketing, growth marketing, buzzwords and terminologies like you know ABM. And so some good insights from Josh. Hope you guys enjoy. As always, give us a like, enjoy the episode, subscribe, tell your friends. Enjoy. All right, welcome back. I'm joined today by Josh Wagner, who is an enterprise account executive at LeadMD. So Josh, welcome. We're glad to have you. I will start with uh, just uh, an introduction to the audience. If you wouldn't mind, Josh, giving a little bit of your background and what you do at, at LeadMD. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Taylor. So as, personally, my background has been an entrepreneur and then in sales and marketing my entire career. And I find myself now for the past seven years at LeadMD, we are a marketing performance consultancy. And really our job is to help translate go-to-market strategy into the planning piece of the equation, which is the peaceful process and technology into the actual tactics that people put in market. Think of things like account-based marketing, ABM, demand generation, field marketing, all those different things that a marketer may do. The charge there is to help organizations avoid what we like to call random acts of marketing sure. and really focus on the marketing organization working in lockstep with sales and driving revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned your background as a, an entrepreneur and I like what you said in terms of random acts of marketing. We take a very similar approach here. I call that also, I didn't coin this phrase, so I'm not going to claim that, but the SOS, shiny object syndrome. We see that oh my gosh. With, with entrepreneurs and it's like, uh, I mean, you mentioned all the, the buzzwords I think there in your opening, right? You talk about your ABM and text app. Yeah. It seems like every tool that comes out, you know, we'll get a client who calls in and is like, well, we got to try this. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, whatever Twitter comes out with their fleets last week and say, like, we got to yeah. do this, we got to do that. It's like, hold on. Remember we had a plan in place. We got to stick to that plan. So what type of companies, what type of clients do you work with primarily at LeadMD? So in the mid market, we work with companies that are, you know, 150 million to a billion dollars in revenue, uh, okay. typically in software and technology, healthcare, medical device, life sciences, and manufacturing. And then there's some financial services in there. And then over a billion dollars in revenue, those enterprise organizations, we have a pretty high concentration in medical devices and life sciences and some high tech and manufacturing companies as well. Okay. So it sounds like you have a wide range of experience with LeadMD and then also from your background, probably some smaller like startup type companies as well, correct? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, in my career, there's been a number of different areas where we've played. So as an entrepreneur, you're scraping and clawing for whatever you can do. So yeah. I had the opportunity to work with some startups for sure. And also got plugged into some big auto manufacturers back in the day. So had some interesting experiences there with marketing and in sales enablement. And then in my time with Resolutions, which is a multimedia e-learning company, we ran the gamut as well. I mean, we had some of those small businesses that were looking to transition from physical to an online presence and training and development, learning and development, things like that, to some of those Fortune 500 companies as well. So I've certainly seen the entire spectrum throughout my career. Yeah, which comes with its own unique challenges and growing pains, right? Making that transition from a smaller company to a bigger company. 
I think I want to focus first on some of those smaller organizations. A lot of the the listeners and the questions we get from listeners that call in, not call into the show, like it's a radio show, but uh, absolutely, you know, email in and ask questions. It's a common thread that I think they're just building marketing departments. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of I think that's a lot more difficult in some you know sense than running a marketing campaign for a Fortune 500 company, right? It's like creating a stakeholder, you know, gaining a stakeholder in the market, especially if you're trying to break into a new product category, right? Something that doesn't necessarily exist today. So what unique challenges do you think are there on a smaller business uh, building a marketing program? And what sort of advice would you have for maybe a first marketing hire at a, you know, a B2B tech company or something like that? Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head there. Oftentimes with a startup, the marketing individual is not the first hire that's made, right? Not the the marketing leader. You've got a sales leader, you've got a product leader. You're probably gonna have some sort of finance leader or business ops leader. Marketing is a couple steps down for the most part. And one of the big reasons for that is that most CEOs don't understand marketing. Okay. So that's a challenge that you're gonna have to deal with coming in as a marketing leader regardless. So even if you're thinking about, okay, I'm evaluating this startup as the next step in my career. I know I can come in, I can get maybe the CMO title or a VP title as that first critical marketing hire. Do your homework in terms of the CEO's background in marketing, because there's a good chance that they've been a sales leader, they may have been a finance leader, and in some cases, a product or ops leader. And if marketing's not in their radar, you're constantly going to be fighting an uphill battle because in a lot of cases, marketing is intangible. Yeah. Right. Like sales is the cash register ringing. The CEO wraps their brain around that really quickly. And what you find is they look for something very tangible to wrap their brain around in marketing. And oftentimes that becomes this singular thing that we call leads. Yeah. And you know, this as well as I do leads could be anything. Yeah. Right. Like how do you define a lead? What is a lead? What does it mean to the business? What happens if we generate a lead? Like there's so much of that, but I've seen so many times in startup culture that there's this overemphasis on lead volume, lead flow, and not really an emphasis on how that translates to the objectives of the business and what the, C, the rest of the C-suite is really trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And we see that happen all the time where, you know, we could probably have a whole episode around, you know, how to structure, you know, your first 10 hires at a, a startup or something along those lines. Sure. But the exact equation is, all the time you see it, it's like carbon copies, exactly what you mentioned. It's like, okay, well, we have our five, you know, SDRs and three AEs and mm-hmm. we hired one marketing person and, you know, it's like everything is marketing's fault and sales gets all the credit and the marketing person has no budget and they're supposed to do everything, right? They're supposed to be a unicorn in terms of a marketer. And like you said, yeah. it can be enticing for someone early on in their marketing career to take that type of a role. Because like you said, you can get that director of marketing or VP of marketing position where maybe you wouldn't be able to get it at a bigger company. But I think it could also be, you know, sort of a death wish for a marketer in terms of your career because you're you're constantly trying to, you're, it's more of a sales job, honestly. You have to convince yeah. everyone in the organization that we need to go against the grain of what conventional wisdom tells you from a marketing perspective. So yeah, I'm glad you said that. In terms of the idea of a lead, so let's continue on this path of, let's say it's a relatively, you know, new startup, B2B, you know, uh, SaaS company, something mm-hmm. along those lines. How would you approach that? Because as you mentioned, there's hundreds of ways to get a lead. You could go to any of the the tools, you know, uh, discover org, zoom info, all the sorts of sure. things, download, you know, buy lists of leads. You could get $2 leads on Facebook or whatever Absolutely. you need to do 
to hit that quota, to make the CEO, make the investors happy that, hey, we are heading in the right direction because here's our KPI. So how do you structure that? What are the metrics that you look for your clients? Or if you were in that position as a CEO of one of those startups, how would you measure success? Yeah, I mean, I always start anytime I'm looking for something that's going to align marketing and sales or marketing with the executive team is I have a three-step approach. And the first step is create a common language so that when I say lead and you say lead, we're saying the same thing, Yeah. right? And that applies to anything across your marketing and sales nomenclature, your funnel roles and responsibilities. Because unless you have a common language, you can't take the next step. And step two is then building joint objectives and KPIs. And oftentimes you're going to have to work with your sales counterpart to figure out what those are, because as much as a marketer may not want to hear it, marketing has a sales dependency in in B2B, right? We rely on them to be our partner. So we really have to build those objectives and KPIs together around that common language that we built. Once you have those two key pillars in place, then you can create a playbook for success. Okay. And that playbook takes those first things and clearly defines roles and responsibilities. This is our go-to-market strategy. These are the types of companies we target. These are the types of people within those companies that we talk to. This is the messaging and positioning that we put behind it. And if I generate a lead, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And this is what's going to happen is a spot where startups especially don't invest. Yeah. You typically don't see startups invest in process mm-hmm. and lead management process, that type of technology until like series C, yeah. right? It's that investment of roughly, you know, 20 to $50 million where you start to see companies say, oh crap, I'm going to invest in ops. Yeah. But even if you can document that process via a playbook early on, you're going to be in much better shape down the road when you do get that infusion of cash and you do want to start investing fully in process and technology and all those types of things. Sure. No, I, I agree with that. And I think the other piece of that is there's the theory of it and there's the, you know, here's what's on paper. And then there's the, I almost want to call it the discipline to stick to whatever that plan was, because a lot of times what I would see happen is like, yes, we all agree who our you know, ideal customer profile or persona. And it comes back to, like you said, whatever that nomenclature mm-hmm. is, however you want to call it. We all agree that once we get a lead, here's what's going to happen. Okay, here's the sales process. Great. We're all in agreement. Then the lead volume may not be where sales expect it to be, right? There's still a gap in expectation because if you're not going through this idea of, as you mentioned, like what a lead is, and if your strategy isn't to get cheap, you know, ebook downloads or webinars, and you're actually trying to get, you know, if you're a SaaS company, you're trying to get demo requests, maybe the lead volume isn't quite there or the cost is a little bit more than maybe the CEO had in mind. So, it's like we had buy-in until we started to see these results come through. And then again, it goes back to, do we change the strategy to get a cheaper cost per lead? So how do you, what advice do you have for kind of, you know, sticking to that game plan once you start the execution? Yeah. I mean, this is not a new stat by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's Gartner Forrester who said that less than 1% of all marketing leads are generating, are converting into revenue. Yeah. So that's fundamentally a problem, right? If you take that to the CEO, the CFO and say, listen, this is what we're dealing with here. We need to stop that. We, that trend isn't, this business can't sustain on that trend, right? right? So Mr. Sa- Mr. and Mrs. Sales Leader, if I give you 10,000 leads a month and we can per- convert 1% of that, or I give you a hundred that convert at 50%, right. 60%, whatever, maybe what's better for you? Right. Right. 
And then you can start to combine what the marketing motion is really intended to do. And that's another thing in a startup culture is if you get hung up on leads, that's one piece of what marketing could do, right? Potentially. There's so many different things where marketing can support. Like if you, for example, have a some startups, you could be selling into the enterprise. You might you know, be fortunate enough to have an enterprise solution. Well, lead volume is not going to be your answer, right? Like your answer is door opening. Yeah. How can I craft stories and messaging and things that are going to help the sales team open doors with people in big companies? And that's a harder game to play. That's not a volume game. Yeah. So that's a real collaborative effort around what stories do we want to tell? Where have we seen success in the past? What kind of offers can we make? Can we do little free consulting sessions? Can, you know, what is it? What are the resources that we can do? So marketing has become, and this is another thing of what you said earlier, when you talk about the unicorn marketer, marketing now is such a multidisciplinary function that the Swiss army knife marketer is really, really hard to come by because that person needs to be a creative design, a data scientist, a spreadsheet manipulator, technical strategist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, developer, I can keep, yeah, yeah a, a coder, a developer, yeah. a landing page. Like, when does it stop? I've got 10 already. Podcast host. Pod, whatever. <laughs> like, we could probably keep going. Yeah. And what are the chances you're going to find all those skill sets in a single marketer? So right. in a startup culture, what do we want marketing to be? Yeah. Like, what's it supporting? What's its function? What are we charging it to do? Because if it's just lead volume, like you said, you know, we could go out and click download on Zoom Info every month to hit our lead volume number. Right. It'll be a lot cheaper for sure. Yeah. It might convert to that same, that same percentage that you, you said earlier. So yeah, I like both of those points about, again, it's what, what is the data saying? How we interpret it? Because, okay, less than 1% of all leads are turning into, you know, customers paying customers. Like the traditional model is then, okay, let's double down instead of a thousand visitors or a thousand leads. We need 2000 or we need 10,000. We need 10,000 leads to hit our numbers because here's our conversion rates rather than maybe we should rethink what we're actually doing here and implement something different. And the second piece of it is exactly what you said is like, what does success look like? What are, what are we trying to accomplish and what numbers are we trying to influence? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've listened to the, the podcast. It's okay. If you have not, you don't have to, to lie, but we, we break it down in the way that we look at it is the, the mechanisms for all companies, no matter what really your industry is really comes down into we call it create and capture, manage and nurture, right? And so it's a matter of what do we need to influence there? Are we capturing existing demand, people that are actively you know, searching? Are we focusing on creating awareness and demand, which is more of like what you talked about? Hey, it's not maybe not necessarily a volume game. It's a target game. Mm-hmm. How do we get in front of the right people? And then how do we show them some value and move them along? Maybe not to a lead, but can we show them a case study? Can we you know, give them some sort of piece of value, a, a maybe a top of the funnel type of offer that we're not necessarily measuring on the metric of let's get an ebook download and follow up a hundred times, but give them something that's a low barrier to entry to introduce them to the company. And then obviously manage and nurture, like you mentioned, you know, you could be in a position where you're enterprise type target account, you know, even if you're just, let's say you're targeting fortune 500 companies mm-hmm. that you're literally your target market is 500 doors, mm-hmm. as you said. So I don't think you need a robust, you know, maybe SEO PPC type campaign. You're trying to market to the same people over and over and over and help the salespeople out as much as you can. So I do think it starts and stems from exactly what you said. What are we trying to accomplish? What does a successful campaign look like? And then build your marketing strategy and team around influencing those metrics. 
Yeah, I think there's something that we neither of us are talking about here, which we probably should mention. And that's just the old school concept of brand. Yeah. And so on a startup, but there's, you, how do you, measure you don't, what is you don't to measure that. <laughs> I'll tell you how you measure it. Right. So here, here's the deal. Are you familiar with drift? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you think of chatbot, do you think of anybody other than drift? Right. Yeah. They've coined the term, you know, the conversational marketing and they've built that. Yeah. Right. So when anyone from sales picks up the phone and makes a cold call into a company and says they're with drift, does that person on the other end know who they are? Right. How much does that shorten the education cycle for that rep? Right. Right. So their marketing strategy, you know, that Dave put in a place at that time was we're going to overwhelm the market with brand. Yeah. And by doing so, we're going to create velocity in the sales cycle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The amount at which the brand influences exactly what you said, the velocity of the, the sales cycle, I think is, you can probably measure that when you have something compared to, but a lot of companies don't have those metrics in place. So they're not really measuring those metrics in the beginning. So then they don't want to invest into something like brand. But like you just said, I mean, just that one example of, okay, you're already cold calling people, right? So let's say you cold call somebody and say, I'm with you know, whatever. I can't even think of another example because like you said, I don't know. Another. Exactly right. And chatbots have been around longer than or Drift, trust me. Drift, you know, who are they going to, to mm-hmm. talk to? So yeah, that brand awareness, the way that I always explain it for B2B is like marketing's job is to educate and sales job is to facilitate, right? Mm-hmm. There's no more of we're just, you know, going to cram information down their throats. Like the salespeople, people don't even really want to be sold to, right? You want to sure. display the options to them help them facilitate their decision-making process based on what's going to be valuable and important to them. And so if you look at it that way, brand is hundred percent in that education component of Absolutely. how much can we educate them so that when it comes to time to talk to a salesperson, like you said, the salesperson isn't spending any time educating them on explaining to them why they need a solution. It's just, let me help you decide whether or not you want to work with us. So we'll take that same analogy a step further. Another B2B SaaS company, I've I've been a partner with and a customer of Marketo for over a decade now. Mm -hmm. And I know of a lot of friends who have been in sales in Marketo and they built a demand engine via content by educating the market with a new thing. Marketing automation was so new at the time. So they educated the market. They built up marketing, built up marketing automation. They built up the definitive guides to marketing automation through free content downloads and things like that. And they created to this point where now you hear people say, and I hear this at least once a month, right? Oh, we're on Pardot, we're on HubSpot, whatever. It's time for us to graduate to Marketo. Yeah. Whoever decided that was a graduation right. point. That there's, yeah, you know, there's levels and we're going to position ourselves up here. Right. So, you know, now I've got a lot of those friends who were reps and crushed it in the early days of Marketo because the brand was so big, the yeah. education that marketing was providing to the market, the, just the engine that they built, you know, they go into another software company that doesn't have the same level of brand and they're struggling. Yeah. Right. It's knocked it, down, knocked it, down a peg. It really does here. matter. It really does matter. I'd much rather talk to someone who knows my business than who yeah. doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. We, I've seen that. Yeah. Sales reps go from one company to the other and they think, and it's not that they're not good sales reps, but no, not at all. It's a different, it's a different conversation when someone says who you're from who rather yeah. than, Oh yeah, of course. You're from Marketo, you're from Drift, right? You're from whatever Yelp, like people know who you are. So yeah, that's a great point as well. Well, think about it right now. Like, you know, customer data platforms, in my opinion, are one of the next frontiers, right? It's going to be the next marketing automation or however you want to say it. 
And if you're edu- if you're selling that right now, you're educating the market. Yep. Because they don't know what it means. And do you have any, does any customer data platform provider pop into your head like instantly? Like, oh, that's that's who you yeah. go to. Right. Yeah. So not, the, the market's like ready. The, not like the marketing automation or the chat bot or you know what I mean. Exactly. So that market is going to be big. And there are brands out there that are doing it that have an opportunity to really take over and educate the market. So I'm 100 percent all in on that. And, and I think the building a, tr- a brand becomes, you know, means as a company becoming a, you know, a resource or a content, you know, machine, a content factory, right? Because you, you have to build this, like you're literally educating the masses, however big that addressable mm-hmm. market is on a problem that they don't necessarily know that they have or highlighting a problem that they didn't know they have and then introducing sure. them to a solution that they didn't know existed. Right. So it's like a simultaneous, you know, building supply and demand at the same time. So one question I would have is like, do you think that is only for, it only applies to a company that is scalable in the fact of like, we're going to become a you know billion dollar organization, or do you see that being applicable to a smaller mid market? You talked about earlier working with like a manufacturing company, right? So like, mm-hmm. can this strategy apply to a smaller mid market SMB? Hey, thanks for listening. Solomon here. Are you frustrated? because you're not getting enough inbound leads, you're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified, or maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rates from the leads to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone, all right? Businesses go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes, Uh, Maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms. Talk to one of our consultants. That's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at OneIMS and especially with this podcast is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right. So thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day. It depends on their, where they are in their life cycle as a business, right? So, you know, you use manufacturing as an example. A lot of manufacturing companies are, are legacy businesses that have been around for, you know, maybe a hundred years, even if they are smaller in nature. So, if you're bringing on marketing hires for the first time in a, in a manufacturing business, you're fighting with literally a, a group of leaders that don't know anything about marketing, sure. right? So you're going to have to really figure out what it is because likely the only thing that's going to be tangible for the marketing leader is tactics. Hmm. Like you said, SEO, PPC, you know, what can I see? What can I measure? What can I feel? What can I touch? Like that's going to be what gets bought in. And what I would say is, you know, whatever situation you're in, don't sleep on or skimp on strategy, right? Like take time to understand your market, take time to understand your competition, take time to understand your buyers, your personas, or take time to do those things because what you can do tactically off of that is going to be so much more impactful and is going to be a money saver and a revenue generator faster down the road. Yeah. So you talked about earlier the the silver bullet syndrome or the shiny object syndrome. Yeah. So if it's whether it's marketing automation or drift or whatever, and we just have to buy it and have to bring it in, the plug-in or the implementation of that platform on its own doesn't really do anything for you. 
if you don't skimp on strategy and you can translate that strategy to inform the implementation of your, your new shiny object, you're going to be so much better off in the long run. Yep. And that's the missing piece. Like that's the connector that the organizations do is they don't inform their technology stack by their go-to-market strategy. It's again, it's just randomness. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. We follow a very similar process here because of the same issues that we see with our clients. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see when people are trying to piecemeal a strategy together or they're working with, okay, we have an SEO vendor and we're, we bought, you know, Marketo or we bought HubSpot. And, you know, we're you, but we're also using Salesforce. So like they're doing all these different things and they feel like they're creating content and creating eBooks, webinars, they have a podcast, but they never really built a strategy. So what seems to be the disconnect? And I guess what are the pitfalls of operating that way? Well, the pitfalls are, is you never really know what's working because you don't really know, you know, you're likely just tracking vanity metrics at that point, right? You're, you're likely looking at email opens and clicks or impressions or whatever it is you can see from GA, right? And those are not invaluable, but they should be informed by something else. Like what do those things mean to the bigger picture, to the objectives that we're trying to set out? So if you can't start with clearly defining what it is your objectives and KPIs are for your marketing organization, and then how am I going to back into those and distill that down to every member of your team so that they know like, this is the big picture goal and this is your piece of it, right? This is how you contribute. And that's bringing that connective tissue to the table. The problem that you start to see is all of that stuff just becomes noise, right? And there's this, uh, you can use the orchestra analogy, right? So there's all the, you you know, think of the orchestra pit and you've got the the strings, the brasses, the woodwinds and, and, and all these different things going on. And if they all just play, it's just a bunch of noise. Yeah. So if you're just doing random marketing tactics, it's just a bunch of noise in the marketplace. It's not providing a appealing user experience for the buyers out there. However, if you orchestrate all of those things together and and create harmony, you as the listener in the audience, oh my God, this is beautiful. You're making beautiful music. Your marketing is no different, right? So you have to understand how all these things tie together and how do you create a seamless user experience and user experience or buyer experience or customer experience or whatever you want to call it is becoming more and more important, especially in B2B, because people don't separate their Amazon experience and their personal life from how they want to buy things in their business life. Like the bar is set really high. Yeah. And there are ways to create really world-class experiences in B2B marketing. You just have to take a step back Mm. and think about your buyer. What experience do they want? Talk to them, listen to them. And, And, you know, if you could boil, if you want to strip away all the marketing tactics in the world, and all the strategies in the world and just say, do one thing, go talk to 10 customers, yeah. tell them what they love, ask them what they hate. Why did they pick you? Why didn't they pick you? Yeah. And, and that's, that's amazing. Like, the amount of people that don't do that is just talk to their customers, right? Yeah. It's all assumptions based on, well, here's our values and here's our process. And here's what, you know, what we do really well. It's like, do your customers feel the same way? Is that the reason that they work with you? And, you know, what is the reason that, like you said, the deals that you lost, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, we recommend for our clients, we do for ourselves, like take the last 10 clients you brought on, the last 10 clients you lost, sure. call them up, right? Have somebody call up as a, you know, hey, this is uh, whatever, I'm the VP of, you know, customer service, just to make sure that we, you know, took care of you. Why do you advice. have to go with somebody else? All those kind of things, right? And I think that is going to demystify what you think you lost the deal, you know, the reason or, you know, and, and the problem is people like you said early on is like, 
they're going to then shift because like, well, we didn't have this feature or we didn't have this on our website. So we lost right. that deal. So let's go add that to our website. It's like, no, you're not going to win every deal. You're not going to convert every visitor that comes to your website. So like put out there the type of information for the customers that you want to come through the, the form, right? Like you need to be transparent and honest with what you have to offer, not try to say what you think someone wants to hear. And that's, yeah. that's hard for a lot of companies to, to hear as well. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes you'll see is, especially, you know, as you get a little bit more growth underneath your and revenue underneath your belt is you'll sell that million dollar deal. Right. And let's say you sell it to a financial services company. The CEO is like, damn it. We need to sell to more financial services company because of that deal. But the reality may, that may be a huge outlier for your business. Like not a good fit, not someone you should target at all, but it's just that gut of we did that million dollar deal on financial services. We need to go after financial services. Yeah. Like let the customers tell you, let the data tell you, you do some research. Yeah. Are you familiar with the, it's called the survivorship bias. It's a term that a philosophy, I guess, I believe it started from world war II. is essentially probably butchering this botching it. But the idea was they, the planes that returned, they analyzed the planes where the bullet holes were and all the bullet holes. And then they reinforced all those sections of, all the planes and they kept losing the same amount of planes every time. And somebody took a step back and said, we're only analyzing the planes that survived planes that didn't make it back. And I think that's what happens is like you said, it's like you look at the leads that come through, you look at the deals you want, you look at the only deals you lost. You don't look at the whole picture and you're making assumptions based on what you basically, what you want to see. Totally. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. So Let's say you were, you know, in this position at an organization, right? And let's say a mid-level marketer. So you, you didn't have complete autonomy. How would you get your organization that is trapped in this old cycle of we're piecing it all together. We're looking at the wrong vanity metrics, as you put it. How do we get buy-in really from the top down, right? Because the only way you're going to get buy-in is if whoever your boss is boss is boss or whatever is reporting to says, okay, it's fine that you went from 500 leads last month and we're going to go to 50 leads this month or that your cost per lead increased by five times. Like it's okay. Don't sound the alarm. So how do you get that buy-in from the organization? Yeah. I mean, the simple answer is commit yourself to a revenue number. That's obviously easier to say than to actually do. I'm going to steal this from, I don't know if you know Sangram Vajray. He's the the founder, one of the co-founders of Terminus and uh, the flip flip my funnel movement. But he said one of the best things he ever did was it was all internal marketing. So going back to our idea of of talking to customers. So he would go and talk to customers and he would get the whole story, everything from acquisition, where did they come from? What was the marketing experience like? What was the sales experience like? This whole thing. What's like using the product end to end, right? And he would do these interviews and then he would bring them in internally and have them tell that story to the rest of the marketing team, to the rest of the sales team, to the executive team. So he was doing internal marketing, talking about the things that they were doing that were informing the customer experience and just literally did rinse and repeat. And he said, it was the fastest thing he's ever seen transition people's perceptions of how we went to market and how quickly you were able to get buy-in to change things based on what you heard from the voice of the customer. Like 
that's as tactical rubber meets the road as they get. And it is, told yeah. story, I was like, damn, and that's awesome. And it seems so like, it's almost too easy, right? It's almost too simple. It's like, all you have to do is talk to your customers and then meet internally. But that's, you know, you talk about voice of the customer and so many companies and agencies fall victim to this. Okay. We're going to do persona research. We're going to do voice of the customer research. And for sure, it's all theoretical you know, like marketing textbook style research when it's, if you have customers talk to them and Mm -hmm. uh, especially, I love that idea of basically becoming an internal marketer or internal salesperson to your own organization to get them to buy. And I think it's realistically, it's going to take more than one conversation, right? It's going to be, Oh yeah. You said it was a constant process, just bringing them in, showcasing them. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Terminus. Um, One of the the topics I wanted to make sure we covered is ABM and Terminus. Same thing you talked about, you know, drift, Marketo, HubSpot, like coining their own terms, mm-hmm. right? Terminus flipped the funnel. And they've also kind of, they were the pioneers of this ABM kind of movement. So how do you approach ABM? What does ABM mean to you? Is, is ABM a tool? Is it a, you know, approach or philosophy a methodology? Because I think there's a lot of confusion from companies around ABM. Yeah. And, you know, the MarTech landscape is so good at creating a narrative around what things are and aren't. Mm-hmm. And, that's what marketers have to try to do their best to weed through all the BS that's being put out. Because at the end of the day, they want you to buy software and they want you to think that you're not going to be successful with this key strategy if you don't have this software. And unfortunately, I think ABM has fallen into that trap of, oh, I'm going to do ABM. So I'm going to go buy Terminus as an example or or something else. And at the end of the day, ABM is a go-to-market tactic informed by your go-to-market strategy. And it's not new. Sales teams have been doing target account sellings for decades. And the whole idea behind ABM was to get marketing and sales teams aligned on that target account strategy. And it's not running display ads to your top five targets. It's not any of that. It really is figuring out if we're going to go to market via a target account strategy, what does that look like? And where do we want to put really high effort so hyper-personalized, like literally I have a PL that I'm willing to put against my efforts to acquire this company. Yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's that much. Like, and it's a team of people. It's, te- it's marketing people, salespeople, biz dev people, executives, like a team of people dedicated to these, let's say five accounts that we're going to try to acquire this year. And then what does the next tier look like? And what does the next tier look like? And what level of effort are we going to put towards these organizations? Guess what? You don't know any of that. Unless your go-to-market strategy is super solid, you know your market, you know your account segmentations, you know your ideal customer profile, you know your total addressable market. Like You can't even start doing an account tiering model unless you know what those things are. Right. So one of the things that I think that's interesting about ABM is, and this goes back to the leads concept that Mm -hmm. we talked about earlier. When ABM was really hot, you know, we'll say three, four years ago, and it was just like this up and coming concept our organization started selling ABM projects, right? Mm. And a lot of them would get to the CEO, CFO for final approval. And they, and, and I literally had a CFO say this, wait, you're turning off the leads? Yeah, yeah. Right, so there was this big perception problem of what was actually going to happen, what this meant. And it was just like, they just literally thought you were gonna stop generating leads and you were gonna just do this target account strategy, which- yeah likely is not going to happen, right? No, very, very few companies can afford to go all, you know, low volume, high touch ABM. 
unless there's there was a company I worked with uh, a few years ago that literally only sold to the top 50 consumer packaged goods companies. Yeah. Well, ABM sounds pretty good. Yeah. So now what's happening is I'm, I'm seeing pushback on ABM. Like you say the term ABM and come and people are like, oh yeah. Uh, here he goes again. Yeah. We got burned <laughs> with that, whatever. But what's yeah. funny is I am seeing companies invest in the foundations of ABM, account research, audience research, ICP development, all that type of stuff. And it's coming back to how can we support sales better? Yeah. And, Which and that's what I was going to say is, you yeah. know, and that's kind of the way I look at it is, isn't all... I'll say all B2B marketing, right? Isn't all B2B marketing, if you do it the way you described earlier, where we're developing the strategy around who our target demographic is and how we're going to help influence sales, isn't that all ABM? I mean, if you take the technology out of it, isn't a proper marketing strategy is by definition account-based because you're marketing to those personas and their pain points, and then you're looking at how to transition to the sales team. Yes. I mean, if you're, it is, it, it should be fundamentally good marketing. Yeah, there still is a place out there for people to run volume and velocity inbound content-based strategies, you yeah. know, based on their solution. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I think of a customer, a malware bites, right? They have a, a, a B2B sales model and they have a consumer sales model. Yeah. And oftentimes they're using that consumer model to drive the B2B. So there is still room in the market for high volume and velocity sales that are driven through a demand engine. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say, as you mentioned, because I'm in agreement, like the marketing strategy needs to be there before you look at the tech stack. So when does the technology come into play in your mind? And what role does that play? Whether that's ABM, whether that's a marketing automation tool, whether that's whatever, when do we make that transition of, okay, now we do need a technology to execute this properly? Yeah. Technology should be an enabler, right? An enabler to help you create consistency in your process and scale your process. And what happens is people, before they have those things defined, they buy the technology and nothing amplifies a bad process by applying new technology to like applying new technology to it. Yeah. Right. So really it should be, you know, you can run really good ABM with no technology. You could run it on a spreadsheet if you want to and 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 constant contact if, if you want to, Sure, you know, so you really don't need a lot to run really good ABM, but to scale that out, yeah. And to, yeah. Right. And to start to track and measure, you know, what's working, what's not, and to really enable your teams around it. You know, if you have a, a field sales organization of hundreds, if not thousands of people, it's going to be pretty hard to run that motion on your spreadsheet and your notepad. Right. And, you know, calling the post office every time you want to drop a, do a, a send, right. You start to pull together the tools that are going to enable that motion that you've defined, that playbook that we talked about earlier on in the conversation we want to enable that playbook and, and yep. technology can help you do that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the scalability factor. We get the same question all the time. It's like, why can't I do this with my existing technology? Or And sometimes the technology is, like you said, a spreadsheet or you know, the salespeople just have their Rolodex of contacts that they, mm-hmm. they follow up on all their accounts. And that's just how it works because that's the way that we've done it. Or you mentioned, you know, hey, we're using MailChimp and Zoho. And it's like, Technically, yeah. I mean, you're doing the same thing in theory, right? You're looking at how do we disseminate this information to our clients at the right time? Is that scalable? And once we have this new process in place, the cost of implementing that technology is going to be offset by the, the time that we save and the scalability when we try to replicate this. And I think that's the piece where sometimes, you know, if you get a company who's 
adverse to implementing new technologies, they're, they're a little hesitant at that point. But uh, if you're looking to scale, then you're going to have to have a tool to enable, as you said, the strategy. Yeah, typically like, you know, ROI and technology is such a hard thing to do. But if you can look at your X, Y axis as efficiency and effectiveness, that's where you're going to find it. Now you have to define what your inputs are for those things. Yeah. But if you think about it in that way, you can typically come up with some sort of ROI model that, that makes sense to the business. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we're running short on on time here. I wanted to go through a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Maybe marketing related, maybe not marketing Uh-oh. related, but just to start off, what's one piece of advice that you've gotten in your career that, that resonates with you? Learn how to read a profit and loss statement. Okay, absolutely. If you could go back in time and, and give advice to your, let's say your your 25-year-old self, what would that piece of advice be? professional advice or personal, I guess. Yeah. Um, relationships are the only currency that really matters. I like that. If I were to give you a million dollars to market your business, or maybe you could come up with a, a fake business if you want, where would you start? How would you allocate that spend? Understanding who who cares about what it is I'm trying to solve. Start with that, that market yeah. research piece and yeah. whatever that means. Okay. Which is, is interesting a because a lot of times it doesn't take a million dollars, but you, you still no. feel like that's the most valuable, valuable piece to start with. Yeah. Because I'm going to find out if it's a business or not, yeah. if it's a business worth pursuing or not. And then if it's not, I can take the million dollars somewhere else. <laughs> take <laughs> the rest of it, take the, the 900, <laughs> the 800,000 or whatever I could take it and, and, and move it on to something else. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's the biggest mistake that you see marketing executives or marketing leaders make? Not thinking holistically about a problem. So, you know, whatever that problem may be, thinking about it through all core pillars of marketing, right? The strategy, the planning, and the tactics, and and everything that fits in between. What's the ripple effect? What are the dependencies on that one thing? What is it dependent on in the marketing world? Okay. I like that. All right. On the advice train there, is there a one piece of bad advice that you that you've gotten or that you hear, you know, in the marketing or in the sales field? That any one thing is dead. Mm. Cold calling is dead, cold emailing is dead, display advertising is dead, email is dead. That any one thing is dead is a is a misnomer. Yeah. Um, anything on its own may not be an effective strategy, but you know, combined. Why do you think that's so common? You do hear that all the time. It's, I mean, it's a, obviously it's a, you know, shock and awe type things like SEO is dead, cold calling is dead. And they're obviously trying to introduce you to something else, but why, why do we as, you know, as a culture, as, you know, professionals, whatever, why do we tend to grasp onto those ideas or be so quick to say something's dead? That's the same thing we started with. It's the silver bullet syndrome that you Mm-hmm. Or did you say silver bullet or did I say uh, I said shiny objects. Shiny objects. Same, same, same idea. Yeah. It's, it's the same concept, right? Like we are inherently looking for a faster, better, quicker way to do something. So if someone says X is dead, they're obviously going to follow that up with Y is the new, the new answer, mm-hmm. right? So if that's the new answer, I can do what I need to do faster. When at the end of the day, like everything's iterative, everything takes work, you know, the people who seemingly have it all figured out didn't figure it out overnight. I just think that unfortunately for those of us who want to kick back and relax, everything requires some level of work to master and, and be good yeah. at something. Yeah. I think that that's a, just a misconception with digital in general. I think people see 
the outcome, they see that it's it's intangible, right? A, a website marketing strategy is not mm. something you can tangibly hold on to. So it seems like it should be cheap. It should seem like it should be fast and easy, right? Uh, yeah. In reality, you know, like you said, nothing comes easy. So mm-hmm. last question, what, do you have any favorite books that you've read recently? Been any good uh, book recommendations? Yeah, I've, I've read quite a few and I still keep coming back to Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yeah. It's it's yeah. really, really good. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's very applicable to a lot of different things in your life. And, you know, when you even read some of the parts of what he said, he's like, I didn't intend to write this as a business book. And it turned out that business leaders are the people reading it and salespeople are the people reading it. And so it really is just gets you thinking about connecting with humans putting yourself in their shoes, creating empathy, mm. you know, things that, especially when you're young and you're, and you're a young salesperson, like mm. you suck at it. Mm. Let's be honest. I sucked at it. I still kind of suck at it. Like <laughs> I have to think about those things, right? Like yeah. it's not about you. It's about the other person. Like you don't matter. Yeah. Right. And that's the same thing for marketers. You don't matter for salespeople. You don't matter. What matters is what that other person thinks, does, says, feels, what they're doing, how they're reacting, like that's what matters. And that's what that book gets you to think about in terms of how you essentially negotiate through your way through life, which, you know, pretty much everything is some level. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like you said earlier, if you're an internal marketer, I mean, you're, you're really marketing to your, for yourself, you're selling yourself, you're selling your career, you're selling your ideas. So I think that marketing and sales, you know, goes hand in hand in that. And then, like you said, with everything in life, as soon as you realize that, it doesn't matter what you think. Don't talk about yourself, you know, shut up and listen to whoever you're talking to and figure it out from there. So yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate Josh for you uh, coming on here. A lot of great insights real quick before we end the episode. If you just want to kind of reiterate the type of companies that lead MD helps and and if someone's interested in, in talking to you, how they can uh, reach out to you. Yeah. So we work with mid market to enterprise organizations to help them, you know, catalyze their marketing strategy and to transform into a revenue generating organization across the three major pillars of marketing, which are strategy, planning, and tactics. All right. And where can they find you? LeadMD.com? Yep. LeadMD.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Josh Wagner, AZ. Happy to talk marketing or sales with anybody. And I also have the Love Selling Hate Sales podcast if you ever want to give it a listen. Perfect. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate it, Josh. Thanks. Thank you, Taylor. All right, so if you enjoyed this episode, here are five things that you could do to help us. Number one, make sure you click that subscribe button so you never miss another show. Number two, share this with a friend that you know needed to hear this. And three, leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, your ideas, things that you've learned so others can learn from you. And four, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know so we can put that in our notes and share our insight All right, for our next episode or the one after that. And finally, you guys, join other growth marketers, head over to oneims.com and check out all the resources that we have made just for you. I'm talking guides, webinars, blogs, videos, anything that could help you become a growth marketer. All right, so thanks a lot for joining us this week on the Growth Marketers Podcast, and I will see you next time.